Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the CBS Evening News ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Tonight, life in prison for the men convicted of murdering Ahmaud Arbery, the 25-year-old who was shot while out jogging. Well, his family tonight calling the sentence justice. Life without the possibility of parole. Life without the possibility of parole. Life with the possibility of parole. Reaction from outside the courthouse and the message from Ahmaud Arbery's family. I know today we finally come. Winter weather chaos. A powerful snowstorm hits the northeast, dropping more than a foot of snow and canceling more than 2,000 flights, but bringing a welcome day off for school kids. Fourth dose, the CEO of Moderna says you could need another shot this fall. But one state wants another booster now. Vaccine requirement showdown. Conservative Supreme Court justices raised serious questions about whether the Biden administration can mandate that America's largest companies require a COVID shot. Remembering Sidney Poitier, reactions pouring in tonight after the death of the first black man to win the Oscar for Best Actor. You think of yourself as a colored man. I think of myself as a man. The world's top tennis players stuck down under. Tonight, what his rival Rafael Nadal is saying about the consequences of Djokovic's vaccination status. And on the road, the heartwarming acts of kindness helping make this new year a little brighter. This is the CBS Evening News with Nora O'Donnell. Reporting from the nation's capital. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We are following several big stories on this Friday night. And we want to begin with the sentencing of three men convicted in the murder of the Ahmad Arbery case. It garnered national attention after video surfaced of the men chasing and shooting the 25-year-old black man in a Georgia residential neighborhood nearly two years ago. 
The father and son, Greg and Travis McMichael, were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. Their neighbor, William Bryan, who filmed the pursuit, received life with the possibility of parole. Bryan will first have to serve at least 30 years in prison before he's eligible. Well, during the sentencing hearing, Aubrey's sister recalled her brother's humor, describing him as a positive thinker with a big personality. CBS's Mark Strassman is outside the courthouse in Brunswick, Georgia, for us. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Nora. Outside this courthouse, several dozen people listening by speaker cheered when the judge announced the sentence. Nearly two years after Ahmad Arbery was killed, his family seized justice in a case that almost never came to trial. We are all accountable for our own actions. Accountability in America's latest moment of racial reckoning. Three life sentences, two without chance of parole. In a relieved Georgia community, Ahmad Arbery's family still churns. When I close my eyes, I see his execution in my mind over and over. I'll see that for the rest of my life. The 25-year-old Arbery went jogging and ended up running for his life. For five minutes in February 2020, three white Georgia men in pickup trucks pursued a black man on foot they suspected was a burglar, trapping him like a rat, in the words of defendant Gregory McMichael. Two 12-gauge shotgun blasts tore point-blank into Arbery, even though gunman Travis McMichael later testified Arbery never threatened him. Didn't pull out any guns. No, ma'am. Didn't pull out any knife. No, ma'am. Their jury, 11 of them white, also watched this video, recorded minutes before the shooting. It shows Arbery walking inside a home under construction, doing nothing wrong. Raising you was the honor of my life, and I'm very proud of you. Wanda Cooper-Jones urged maximum sentences for killing the son born on Mother's Day, 1994. They were fully committed to their crimes. Let them be full, let them be fully committed for the consequences. Relief outside the courthouse for several dozen supporters of the Arbery family. I knew that we would come out with a victory. Yes, I never doubted it. Defense lawyers argued that life without parole was unjust and planned to appeal. These same three defendants have more legal worries next month. Their federal trial begins on hate crime charges. Nora? Mark Strassman, thank you very much. Well, the Northeast's first significant snowfall of the year caused chaos across the region, shuttering schools and stranding air travelers. The New York City area got more than nine inches of snow, and Boston schools were forced to close after getting nearly a foot. Meanwhile, snow turning to rain across the Pacific Northwest caused flooding across several communities in Lewis County, Washington. CBS's Nancy Chen is in hard-hit Boston tonight. Good evening, Nancy. And Nora, good evening to you. This was one of the latest arrivals for the first snow of the season. This storm was fast moving, but it was powerful, dumping more than a foot of snow in parts of New England. With snow blanketing the landscape, some saw beauty, others saw work. It's going to be pretty easy to remove. It's just going to take a little bit of time and we're going to have to get the machine out for sure. In hard-hit Massachusetts, the state's Department of Transportation worked to keep up, deploying more than 2,500 pieces of equipment to clear snow and ice off roads. You know, I'm out here, if it's one inch, 36 inches, or 
96 inches. Slick highways turned deadly. The driver of this pickup was killed after careening off the road. The storm system got its start yesterday, straining drivers on this Kentucky highway. When cars start parking and shutting down on the interstate, you know that's not great. By this morning, it was the second storm in a week for the Virginia, D.C. area, while in New York City, nine inches of snow made for a dangerous morning commute. Still, public schools remained open. But airports did grind to a halt across the country. More than 6,000 flights were canceled or delayed, the majority due to weather. I don't mind waiting, you know, six hours, seven hours in an airport if it can get me home tonight. Out west in Washington state, heavy rain and snow fell across the Puget Sound. Rising floodwaters closed a 20-mile stretch of a major interstate, and there were at least 21 water rescues. The storm in the east came just as several states were experiencing a critical shortage of snowplow drivers. Has the snowplow industry faced something like this before? I don't think so. Massachusetts contractor Bill French says rising costs, supply chain issues for vehicle parts, and a labor shortage worsened by COVID have made his work challenging. COVID's obviously affected everybody. Even if you have equipment ready, there's always the ambiguity of who's going to be able to work and who isn't. It's kind of a perfect storm. And a rapid cleanup is critical here because a band of cold air, frigid air, is expected to move into this area, turning those wet and slushy roads into ice overnight, with cold temperatures expected to last into tomorrow and possibly early Sunday, Nora. That ice is scary. All right, Nancy Chen, thank you. Well, now to the fight against COVID. The Omicron variant is fueling the surge in hospitalizations of children under the age of five, which are at their highest level since the start of the pandemic. Meanwhile, several states are hitting new records, including Florida, where cases are up 56 percent in the last seven days and where there's a big testing snafu. Here's CBS's Manuel Bohorkas. Today, after much criticism, the CDC tried to clarify its guidance for those who test positive for COVID but no longer have symptoms, saying if they want to use a rapid test to determine whether to leave isolation after five days, it would be the best approach. If it's positive, stay home. And if it's negative, please continue to wear your mask because that does not mean you're no longer infectious. As the CDC encourages people to get boosted when they're eligible, the FDA shortened the time between a second Moderna shot and a booster to five months, like it had for Pfizer's. Moderna's CEO said a fourth dose may be needed in the fall. But West Virginia is asking the CDC for a second round of booster shots now. This comes as Citigroup announced unvaccinated workers will be fired at the end of the month, becoming the first major Wall Street bank to enforce a vaccine mandate. Meanwhile, Omicron surge is pushing hospitalizations up in 46 states, rising 40 percent nationwide from the previous week's average. And the rate of hospitalization for children under five who are not yet eligible for vaccination is the highest it's been since the pandemic began, doubling since last month. Florida today broke its single-day record for new cases with nearly 77,000. The state is being criticized for new guidelines discouraging testing for healthy individuals who have been exposed to COVID but show no symptoms, though scientists warn they can still spread it. You don't want to be responsible for putting someone you love in the hospital. And state officials are under fire for letting about one million test kits expire in a warehouse at the end of last month when holiday demand for testing was high. Uh, we tried to give them out prior to that, but there was not a demand for it. 
There's a disturbing number out tonight. One study says up to 80% of Floridians will have caught COVID-19 by the time this Omicron wave is over. To ease demand at testing sites like this one, the White House and U.S. Postal Service are set to be finalizing plans to mail testing kits to U.S. households as early as next week. Nora? That 80% number is stunning. Manny Bajorquez, thank you. Well, tonight in a test of presidential powers, the Supreme Court is weighing arguments over the Biden administration's COVID vaccine rules for large companies and healthcare workers. CBS's Jan Crawford is following the closely watched set of arguments that went on for hours today. With nearly 36 million adults yet to get a single dose of the vaccine, liberal justices said the dangers of the coronavirus justify the unprecedented federal mandates to encourage vaccinations. This is a pandemic in which nearly a million people have died. And this is the policy that is um, most geared to stopping all this. In extraordinary arguments amid the surge of the latest Omicron variant, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who is not ill, opted to participate in the arguments remotely, as did two lawyers arguing against the mandates who tested positive. And for the first time, a majority of the justices, with the exception of Justice Neil Gorsuch, wore masks. In the past, the court has allowed various efforts to mandate vaccines at the state level. But in these cases, conservative justices seem skeptical about handing that sweeping power to federal agencies. This is something that the federal government has not, never done before, right? Mandated vaccine coverage. And there were practical questions to the requirement that some 80 million private employees get vaccinated or have weekly testing. Is the testing alternative viable at the present time? In light of the stories that we see about the long lines that are required to be tested. The justices seem less skeptical of the more targeted mandate, which would require vaccines for more than 17 million health care workers at facilities that get federal Medicaid or Medicare money. Now, the mandate for those large companies is set to take effect on Monday, although the government says they're not going to enforce the vaccine requirement until next month. A ruling from the court on whether to block that, even temporarily, could now come any time. Nora? Jan Crawford of the Supreme Court, thank you. Well, we want to turn now to the death of groundbreaking actor and civil rights activist Sidney Poitier. President Biden called Poitier a once-in-a-generation actor, an advocate whose work carried so much dignity, power, and grace that it changed the world on and off the big screen. He was 94. CBS's Jim Axelrod looks back on the life and career of a Hollywood legend. The salutes and celebrations later in his life were all so sweet for Sidney Poitier. But his climb to the highest echelon of American culture was long and hard. I've been mad all my natural life. As he confronted deeply entrenched racism at every step. I had no power except the power to say no. And forced white Hollywood to begin taking a look at itself. You think of yourself as a colored man. I think of myself as a man. Raised on a tomato farm in the Bahamas with little formal education. I don't want him. I want a white doctor. Sidney Poitier headed to Hollywood in 1950. Where did they go? Playing roles that pierced the step and fetch it Amos and Andy stereotypes. All I want is to be able to stand in front of my boy like my father never was able to do to me and tell him that he'll be somebody in this world besides a servant and a chauffeur. The first black actor to be nominated for an Oscar 
for the defiant ones in 1959. The winner is Sidney Poitier. He'd be the first to win one five years later for Lilies of the Field. With this A-list stature, he didn't ask for respect as much as he demanded it. You ask me questions that fall continually within the Negroness of my life. I am artist, man, American, contemporary. I am an awful lot of things. Poitier's influence would stretch far beyond movie theaters. As civil rights took center stage, he helped organize the March on Washington. Mom, this is John. He thinks you're going to faint because he's a Negro. But it was his bearing on screen that most powerfully challenged the realities of American life. Virgil, that's a funny name for a boy that comes from Philadelphia. What do they call you up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Hello, love. Illuminating what we needed to see with a grace and dignity that's still so badly needed and will still be so sorely missed. That's it. Jim Axelrod, CBS News. You missed so much indeed. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. A criminal charge was dropped today against former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Cuomo appeared in court on camera nearly five months after he resigned amid multiple sexual misconduct allegations, including a claim by former aide Brittany Camiso, who said Cuomo reached up her blouse and groped her, which he denies. Prosecutors say they found the aide credible but couldn't prove her allegations in court. All right, tonight, the world's top tennis player is thanking fans for support as he remains detained in a hotel in Australia over his COVID vaccination status. Novak Djokovic is against vaccines, and he was granted an exemption to play in the Australian Open, but government officials have denied his visa. Well, there is a court hearing on Monday. Djokovic's rival, Rafael Nadal, says he feels sorry for him, but there are consequences for his decision. Just one week into the new year, it's already been a tough start for many. But CVS's Steve Hartman sees reasons for hope. Here's tonight's On the Road. Clairvoyant Winslow Elliott knows what we're feeling. Anytime there's uncertainty or anxiety, people want to know their future. So I asked Winslow to shuffle up her tarot cards. You're going to ask a question? Yes, but I don't want a reading from me. Okay. I want a reading for her. Ooh, the future of the United States of America. What lies ahead for the new year? Okay. It's the uneasy question. Interesting. On everyone's mind. To some, 2022 has already dropped the ball. We've already stewed in the resurrection of our insurrection. We've seen people stuck in traffic for hours and in airports for days. We've seen a spike in COVID cases, triggering a nationwide epidemic of deja vu. 
So how will we manage? Going into the future. Winslow had answers. A higher octave of where we are now. Unfortunately, they went way over my crown chakra. It's going inward time. Does anything here say we're going to be okay? Um, That's not good. But there was one card to go, and I'll show you that in a minute. But first, a look at the wild card in this query. That resilient group of Americans who dictate their own future, always taking whatever lousy hand they're dealt, and somehow finding aces. Whether it's the woman who turned her airport delay into a ukulele recital. Airport's a good place to practice. <laughs> or the strangers who broke bread from a bakery truck on I-95. Just trying to help out. We saw smiles pop up in the most unlikely places this week. Did the outpouring surprise you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Heidi and Steve Boatwright lost everything in the Colorado fire. Here we have the Boatwrights. But have since been flooded with goodwill and great comfort. People sending care packages, donating names we don't know. We're trying to Google some of these names. Like, yes. who is this? I don't know who I this know. is. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. I hear stories of kindness like that and wonder, is our future fated or is it divined from the way we treat one another? That's what I believe. And Winslow, and what's the last one? Or someone out there. Aw. Agrees. It's a card of choosing love. Steve Hartman, CBS News, on the road. I believe that, too. You can define, divine your life. This Sunday on 60 Minutes, in an attempt to heal a politically divided nation, one organization is bringing together Democrats and Republicans to talk about what they have in common face-to-face, -face, one conversation at a time. Our story, called One Small Step, airs after football. That's tonight's CBS Evening News. I'm Nora O'Donnell. Hope you have a great weekend. Good night. If you like the CBS Evening News, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.